the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Join the conversation now by texting Scott in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Southern California Live. So good to be with you today on this fine Monday. Getting closer to Christmas here as we are in December. I hope that you are enjoying that period of time. I am. I am enjoying it, I guess. And it uh, seems like Christmas is still a ways away. To me, it is. But, uh, you know, the songs and music are out there. Anyway, it's good to be with you today. You know, there's a lot of people that we need to be thinking about as far as Christmas time goes. And, you know, I was thinking about not too long ago. Have you ever visited somebody in prison? Like actually gone to the prison and done this? What was your experience like? Not too long ago. Well, it's been a little while now since my my first visit to a prison. And, you know, I noticed a couple of things. One of the things that I noticed right away, if you've ever done this before, is that the prisons don't look like they do on TV. Have you noticed this? I mean, sometimes they kind of do, but... But uh, there's always these images on some of the TV programs where everything's clean and it's glass everywhere. And there's this nice room where you would go and you would meet with whoever might be the prisoner that you're going to meet with. And and either the room has got some some fancy stuff or it's the, the one where you've got the glass in between you and you grab the phone and they grab the phone and you speak through the glass. I noticed on TV those are always clean. Uh, not so much in real life. In real life, you're not too sure you want to grab the phone. And uh, the grass is the glass in between is all kind of scratched up. At least that's been kind of my experience. And you, you kind of have to get through a little bit of that reality as far as what's happening in the prison. But the second thing that you notice that is going on that matters greatly is that actually when you visit somebody who's in prison, you have a great time. That this is something that you realize, you know what? That needed to happen, and it was a blessing for you as well as it is for uh, the person that you're visiting most of the time if they want you to be there. And, you know, this is why we are told to not forget about the prisoners and why prison ministry is so important. And at Christmas time, this is one of the things that uh, it just matters tremendously to us uh, as believers because the Lord has asked us to do this. There is a great ministry out there called Prison Fellowship. Many of you are a part of that, and uh, you have been... um, going and visiting prisoners. And I know that also right now, many of our churches are uh, having ministries through the Angel Tree Ministry, which is through Prison Tree. Have you ever, have you, Prison Tree, what's it called? Prison Fellowship. And uh, maybe you've been a part of that before. And I want to encourage you to think about that. With me as a guest, her name is uh, Karen Arango. Karen Arango. Do I have your name right? How do I say your last name, Karen? Arango. Thank you so much. Arango. All right, Karen. Thank you for joining me on Southern California Live today. How are you? I am blessed to be here, and thank you so much for the opportunity to share about what Christmas really looks like inside the prison. Yeah, and I think this is important for us to know. Like you said, how long have you been involved with uh, prison ministry, and and what brought you to this kind of ministry in your life? 
Well, I've been involved in prison ministry since 1996 through Prison Fellowship. But actually, in 1987, that was the first time that my husband went to visit and participate in prison ministry. And at the time, I was very scared to go into the prison because obviously the programs that we all get to see on TV. And finally, when I got the green light from the Lord to go into prison, I have been actually going into since 1996 until today. And it is completely a different uh, perspective. I honestly feel more safe inside the prison than outside on the street. So you're pretty used to the whole thing. But let me let me um, back you up just a little bit. And when you first went, you said your husband started getting involved first. Is that right? Yes, since 1987 until today. What did you think about that when he was going? Because you didn't go right away. Were you were you concerned for him, or you know what was that like? I was very concerned, and I thought he was crazy. But, you know, we know that God will never allow anything bad happening to us. And when he sends us, he equips us, and that's what the Word of God says. So my daughter and I actually stayed behind, and we were just interceding. That was our ministry for seven years, interceding for them, uh, going into the prisons. And when he came back home, he was just glowing and just sharing and nonstop sharing for the rest of the week about the experience that he had and how the men inside the prison were so anxious and hungry about the Word of God. I think that it's important for people to hear this because I think that a lot of people maybe think the same way that you did at first is that got you, and I, I appreciate the honesty with that, that. You thought your husband was crazy. He's going to go visit people in prison. It's kind of frightening, and it led you to pray. Um, but then you went yourself, and how did the, your, you said a second ago that now you feel very comfortable in there, maybe even more comfortable visiting a prisoner than you would on the outside. How did that change for you? Uh, it changed because I got to see how respectful the men and women were inside the prison. Uh, the safety thing we feel about how they welcome us, especially because they're so hungry about the word. And uh, we feel so much secured inside. Um, now, because of COVID, we haven't been able to go for a couple of years, but we are so anxious to go back in next year, hopefully. Um, again, we miss them. We miss going into the prisons and share the word and also conduct different programs that helps them as they release from prison. So you haven't been able to go back yet since the COVID uh, shutdowns happened? Uh, that's right. Some mm. prisons are opening now, but, you know, now more than ever, we definitely need volunteers that can start coming back with us hopefully next year so that we can continue doing God's work. Yeah. Hebrews thirteen three tells us that remember those who are in prison. And here's the interesting thing about this verse. Remember those who are in prison. And the next part is as though in prison with them. And uh, and those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body. So this verse is probably about visiting Christians in prison, but it's uh, I think it's about everybody. Psalm sixty nine thirty three for the Lord hears that the hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. You know God is is very concerned about those who are prisoners. Absolutely. And, you know, it is it is an amazing experience because not everybody that attends the programs or anything that we do, the fellowships that we have, the hope events that we have in the yard, not everybody's a believer. But, you know, this is the opportunity for many of them to actually get to hear the Word of God. Many of them don't go to chapel, but when we go in and we have events, everybody attends. 
because yeah. everybody wants to hear the word. You know, I think um, when you, when you think about these things, it's also you know another Bible verse that really matters is Matthew twenty five when Jesus is telling us what we're going to hear about when we meet him one day. And uh, the righteous say, uh, you know, those who know the Lord say, you know, when did we when did we see you in this way? And Jesus said, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. And then he says, I was in prison and you came to me. I think that maybe we don't think about that one quite as often as the other ones. Uh, and that should give us a lot of reason to to go into prison. So I appreciate it that you're doing this kind of ministry and you're working with Prison Fellowship that has been around now for a long time. I've been noticing a lot of videos uh, on social media that are being taken in prison of prisoners being baptized and church services in prison. And there's been one that I've seen a whole bunch of times with different people. Maybe you can tell me a little bit about this kind of event with children meeting their their dads in prison, either for the first time or the first time in a long time. Have you been a part of uh, stories like that? Do you have any stories you can share about that yes. happening? Absolutely. I have an amazing story from a, uh, from a young girl that I just met, and she actually uh, shared with me that her dad went to prison when she was three years old. Imagine how hard that can be. And then she actually got to visit her dad for the first time when she was seven. But through all these years, she's been receiving Angel Tree um, gifts from dad. And Angel Tree, just for the for the audience to know a little bit about this program, it's an amazing uh, outreach ministry. And Angel Tree equips the churches and organizations so that they can serve the incarcerated parents by providing a pathway to restoring and strengthening their relationship with their children and their families. So the churches will buy a gift, and the gift can be give, is given to the child in behalf of the mom or dad is in prison. So when I met Ashley, and she shared with me how impacting this was for her, she even shared now, you know, she called me a few weeks ago, and I had no idea who she was, and she uh, actually signed up her church to register so that they can provide Christmas gifts for the children of incarcerated in Orange County. And she said, I want to do this because I was one of them. Mm. I first heard the news, the gospel news, from someone in church that came to visit me and deliver a gift from my dad. So isn't that impacting so that something that we can actually do and bless so many families and so many children that maybe this will be the only gift that they will receive this Christmas. Now, what you're talking about, there's a lot of people who, um, you know, we started talking about actually visiting people in prison and how we're called to that. There is this, the other ministry that is a part of what you do is the Angel Tree ministry that a lot of churches are doing. How many churches around Southern California are doing this? We actually have hundreds of churches. There's hundreds of churches. Hundreds of churches. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Well, and... and you know, people, what they can you describe what it is that uh, people do in uh, the churches? Yes, absolutely. What the church will do is a prison fellowship throughout uh, the year, and we are the only organization that is able to get personal information from the inmates and actually bring it to our database and provide that information to the churches so that they can actually go 
uh, register, I'm sorry, register in our in our website, and then uh, provide a gift and the ministry of the gospel to the children. So just so that you know, here in California, we have over 27,000 children that have a parent in prison and that will be receiving a gift in their behalf this year. 27,000. That's a big 20, number. Over 27,000, yes. In, in Southern California, we have about 20, 21,000 children. But most important in the L.A. County, believe it or not, is one of the counties that we have the most children, which this year we have about 8,500 children. Wow. Just right here in Los Angeles. Just right here in Los Angeles, just in your neighborhood. And you may not even know that your neighbor, you may see the mom and the children, but not the dad, or sometimes just the grandma with the children. And you're wondering, where are the parents? Well, they could be incarcerated. So yeah. even the kids in your own neighborhood could have a parent in prison. I looked at some statistics on uh, incarceration, and uh, you know, one of them that that hit me that was pretty significant. Right now, there's about five and a half million people um, in the system, but seventy million Americans have some history of being incarcerated. Seventy million. So that is what one out of what five? Well, less than one out of five, and that, of all Americans, that's a huge number. It is, and actually, as a matter of fact, one in every forty-seven. Um, in here in the United States, adults are behind bars that's, or in parole or in probation or on probation. That's currently, currently, yeah. Yeah. So this is a this is a big deal. It's all around us, whether we want to acknowledge that or not. It's it's definitely all around us. Absolutely, and you know, and it is so important just to keep, especially in mind, the children. You know, they're the innocent victims of uh, the mistakes from the parents. You know, we all make mistakes, and um, the difference between them and us is that we were not caught, and they did. Yeah, that's a, there's definitely a lot more people who should be in there, I suppose, and there's people in there who, who shouldn't be in there uh, sometimes. But uh, you're right that there's there's a lot of wrongdoing. I used to have a um, a speaker who was a, a come to my church and ministries that I ran. He was a juvenile hall chaplain. And he used to say that exact same thing, Karen. He would say, you know, um, the people I work with are people that when they sin, they end up getting their face pushed against the hood of a police car and taken away. But most of us, when we sin and we do wrong to each other, uh, nothing happens to us like that. Uh, and that's a pretty significant thing. You're listening to Southern California Live. My guest is Karen. Uh, I'm sorry I'm messing up your last name here. Arango? Ar- yes. Yeah. And um, the... Uh, the number is 888-528-2557 if you want to join our conversation. We're talking about Angel Tree Ministries here in Southern California and prison prison ministry. So what happens? So can you give me an example of a way that uh, the gifts are purchased for people? So obviously the prisoners can't go out and shop themselves. So are the gifts that uh, these children receive, are they... Are they personal? Does the does the prisoner say, hey, get them this? Or is there something that is up to the person buying the gift to try to do? Well, what we actually do is because we are able to obtain all the data from the prisoner. So we actually get the name of the children, who do they live with, where do they live, the phone number, if there is one available, and even email sometimes. So what we do is we provide the information to the, uh, to the churches. Then the churches actually call the caregivers, who is the person that the children live with, and they 
uh, there's a way of conversation so that they can ask, what does the child like? And the amount of the gift is um, $25. And then the church will go out and provide the gift to the child. And it is something that the children really need. Uh, sometimes they said, no, we don't need any clothes. We need, uh, I'm sorry, we don't need any toys. We need clothing. So they will go ahead and do that. And the great thing is that we provide alongside with that information, we provide Bibles for the family. We have beautiful Bibles for the children and teenagers. We also provide ways um, to hear more about the gospel through little booklets. And all that is free. So all you do is register, call it register and we'll provide that information to you and then you go ahead and do the outreach that god has called you to do which is ministering to the children of incarcerated karen what is the if somebody's listening to this and uh, maybe their church isn't uh, a church participating in this is there a way that people could say hey you know what i want to be involved with that this christmas people are out doing their shopping and other stuff Uh, what do they do to get involved Absolutely. Well, the first thing that they can do is going to our website, which is prisonfellowship.org, or they can also call our 800 number, which is 1-800-552-6435, and talk to us. And we will let you know. Right now, we have a lot of kids that can be served through our virtual program. It's Thanks to COVID, that is something that we actually created a couple of years ago, where the churches can actually go into our website, and that website is going to be opening very soon for the public, that they can go and click on Angel Tree and uh, spend $25, and the $25 will provide a gift card to the child, and Prison Fellowship will ship that alongside with the gospel message. So that's so great. So they can go to prisonfellowship.org? Absolutely. And learn all of that. And if you want to just volunteer, right, and be a part of a regular prison ministry, it's important that you work with an organization like Prison Fellowship in order to have an effective ministry. Isn't that right? Absolutely. And that information is in there. Um, It will ask you, click here if you would like to volunteer to go into the prison. And wherever you are, it doesn't matter what um, county you may live in or what state, we have field directors that will actually get a hold of you and respond all of the questions that you may have so that you can start thinking and pray. Pray because the doors are getting open. The opportunities are there. And what a blessing will be that once, you know, we, we're done here in earth, when we go to heaven and the Lord will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, uh, Karen, thank you very much for joining me today on Southern California Live. Thank you so much for the opportunity. What a blessing. And please go to our website, prisonfellowship.org, or call us at the 800 number so that we can actually help you and answer any questions that you may have at this time. All right. Thank you, Karen. My guest is Karen Arango from Prison Fellowship. Karen, thanks for being with us on SoCal Live today. Thank you so much. God bless you all. All right. God bless you. Hey, um, you know, if you're thinking about it, um, the scriptures are really clear about visiting prisoners, and I think it's a great ministry. And I know it's not for everybody, but no ministry is for everybody, okay? There are some people who want to be singers who shouldn't be singers, you know, but maybe you should be um, visiting people in the prisons. There is there is such an amazing thing here. that The social media stuff going around of, of prisoners being baptized and the ministries going on, 
Uh, it's really great. If you want to get involved in something like that, you've got to go through an organization. Make sure you talk to the prisons directly. There's a lot of rules, okay, and there's a lot of things about there's groups out there collecting Bibles and things like that, for example, for prisoners, and that's important, but it's also important that you get the right kind. It, you, they're not allowed to have typically uh, hard-covered uh, Bibles. you got to get the soft-cover ones. You know why? Because the, the hard-cover ones, uh, they become weapons. <laughs> they smack people up you know, upside the head, you know, and uh, so they don't really let those in. They'll send them back to you eventually and uh, things like that. I got a great story of a guy who uh, he was in and out of prison Really, most of his life, he called it his uh, prison career, and he was, by this time, in his late 40s, and he'd been in and out uh, since he was a kid, Um, and he got saved. He got saved at some point, uh, leaving the prison, and uh, we baptized him, and, uh, you know, he was somebody who was just, you know, spending most of his time in the prison. He was kind of a rough guy. And uh, I always wanted him to give his testimony but um, of getting saved, but we really couldn't have him do it in public, in public because it was very hard for him not to say the F word every third word, uh, which gets a little uncomfortable in church and just not allowed on the radio. But when you filter all that out of there, it is what God was doing in his life was, was great. Now, he struggled. And this is a thing that happened that I noticed. You know, and you wonder sometimes, people coming out, are they getting, you know, they are they getting saved just to make good behavior points to get out? Or, you know, is there some kind of, you know, you can take a cynical point of view. You got to look for some growth. So he got out. He ended up going back. He ended up doing something stupid, and he, and he went back. And this time he said, you know, I usually go into prison, and I immediately look for a gang to join and to kind of get to be a part of that. He goes, you know, this time I went, this is after he got saved. He said, this time I went in and I thought, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to start an AA group for other prisoners. And uh, that's what he did. And he brought his Bible with him and he taught people about Jesus in the prison. So he was guilty of what he did. That's why he went back into jail. But the thing is about getting saved is that God starts to work on your heart and that God will use you wherever you find yourself, even if where you find yourself as a result of your sin, and he found himself back in jail. But the difference between him not being saved and him getting saved is that this time when he went back in, he decided, you know what, I'm going to just use this to the best that I can to serve the Lord and to serve the other prisoners. And that's what he did. I mean, it's an amazing story, and it's terrible that he went back to jail, but look at what the Lord is doing. I always feel like, you know, that's evidence of a person who is truly saved, right, is they're not perfect. They might still struggle with different things, but gosh, what a great story that uh, that if he had to go back, he went in and he decided, I'm not going to uh, look to figure out how I can defend myself and harm other people. I'm going to go in and try to help people and share the gospel. And uh, a lot of people were involved in his coming to Christ, a lot of people visiting the prison, a lot of people involved in his life, and the impact is is fantastic. You're listening to Southern California Live. Hey, when we get back, we'll deal with some of what's in the news. I don't know if you're following the the Twitter story, but we'll talk about that a little bit. And uh, take your phone calls. The number is 888-528-2557. You might be interested to know that the Twitter story really begins way back at the Monica Lewinsky scandal. I'll tell you about that when we get back. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. I'll be back as the Monday edition continues. 
This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Text Scott right now in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Welcome back, everybody. Good to be with you. I'm Scott Furrow, and uh, it's always good to be with you today. Hey, have you? Uh, do you follow this Twitter story uh, on what is going on? I, I got an interesting angle to it. We'll probably talk about it from different uh, different sides. I don't know if you even are on Twitter. It's so interesting to me about a lot of this stuff. If you are on Twitter, you can follow me at Scott Furrow and uh, like to have you on board. Mostly I just uh, smart off or retweet some other stuff on there. But, you know, Twitter has, of all the people listening to our program today, probably of, if you looked at Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, there's probably more of you on the Facebook or Instagram machines and not on the Twitter machine. But the Twitter machine is far more influential, and that's why it's all over the news. And there is a a huge story here. So if you're if you're not really tracking what it – there's there's really two parts to the big story here. Okay, so Elon Musk purchases Twitter. It becomes a private company. It was a public company and their stockholders and all of that. And now he bought them all out. He owns the company, which you can too if you had $44 billion to spare, which he did. And uh, he buys the company. And one of the controversial things that is on social media. Now, social media companies are all private companies. Okay, they are corporations. They are not government uh, but they have they are used by governments. Donald Trump, for example, President Trump used Twitter very much to his advantage for uh, most of his presidency. And it was used as a tool where he could reach people directly if there was a story. I remember when he was first the president, if you wanted to know what the news cycle was going to be, you could actually roll out of bed, open the Twitter and then look at what Donald Trump had been tweeting for the last couple of hours, which might start around three or four in the morning. And that would be what the news was. And he could actually control the news cycle for quite a while through Twitter. And a lot of people wondered what to, you know, what, you know, what to do about that. How do, is that okay? Is that something that uh, a person should be able to do or a political figure? How does it work when it is a private platform? And that is a lot of the discussion now when we're talking about what eventually happened over time, what is coming out. Now, there's a lot more of this story to come out. So I I don't want to talk about a lot of it yet because I want to wait until we get a lot of story. What's happening is is Elon Musk took over Twitter and one of the biggest controversies was certain things that people would get blocked on Twitter. So there would be news stories that would get blocked or marked as false information or marked as a conspiracy theory, or there are other things that go on where maybe they didn't mark it as such, but they restricted the number of people who would actually see what you put online. It's called shadow banning. It's that you you put out something on your social media and the social media company doesn't want people to see it, but they don't want you to know that they don't want people to see it. So they do something in the program that prevents people from actually seeing what it is you put out there. Okay, so it's called shadow banning because you've been banned, but you don't know that you're banned. Uh, the only thing that you realize is that usually there and on Twitter specifically, you, you can see how many people actually look at your tweets. Uh, tweets is what are, they're called. Um, and tweet is just a, a very short, you know, pithy statement about something in the world uh, that you might put down. Uh, you can get statistics on that. And sometimes people who have thousands and thousands of followers would suddenly notice that no one is looking at their tweets anymore. And a lot of people have wondered why that is. One of the biggest stories that uh, happened is two years ago, right before the 2020 election, there was the story put out by the New York Post about the Hunter Biden laptop and the Hunter Biden laptop story is that on this laptop that was discovered in a pawn shop, it's a crazy story, but the, the story turns out to be true. 
Um, at the time, however, uh, and the things on the laptop are, you know, raise some questions. Some of it, I think, is very personal to Hunter Biden. I'm a little bit, I'm not, I'm not particularly excited about uh, the media going after the president's kids, just in general, whatever they're doing. Like there's always, you know, some presidents always have some family member, right? Uh, you know, President Obama had some brother or half-brother, I think, in uh, Kenya somewhere making some comments. And, uh, you know, historically, Jimmy Carter's, bro- what was his brother's name? Uh, he had the beer, Billy Beer, Billy Carter. And he was he just had a lot of problems and he would cause some problems. Um, but I think sometimes it's unfair to bring in family members. However, if that family member is, is a part of your administration, you know, it's a little bit more fair as in, in some cases with, uh, maybe a couple of the Trump kids who had actual jobs in the administration or with, in this case, uh, what's the accusation is, is that Hunter Biden was providing influence uh, and getting money because of that influence in uh, Ukraine and uh, in some other places in Asia because of he was selling influence to his dad, basically, as the vice president. And that is the theory that the information on the laptop that might be become something very serious for President Biden later on next year. Well, this laptop was was put out there and a lot of the information was made public and immediately – uh, the media and lots of people said it was Russian interference and the whole thing was made up and that it wasn't real. It wasn't really his laptop, that the information that's on there was made up. And there was a lot of denials about that. And it's quite a scandal because it turns out that actually the laptop is real and the stuff that's on there is for real. And whether or not it actually implicates the Biden family in some crime, you know, that's you know a lot of people have their opinion about that. Um, but that was something that will probably be investigated later to be seen. But the question is, is should the American people before the 2020 election have had that information that perhaps in the same way um, that President Trump was accused of of being owned maybe by the Russians or other people? Well, maybe President Biden is owned by the Ukrainians or by China. And uh, this laptop was some evidence of that possibility. So it was it was squashed. And it was squashed not only in the mainstream media, but also online and Twitter in particular. So what's happening is is Elon Musk is putting out a bunch of emails that have to do with how Twitter went around making the decision to squash stories about the laptop. Are you following me there? Okay. And uh, so that's coming out. Some people are saying it's not as serious as they said. Some people are saying it's very serious. Um, a reporter, a journalist named Matt Taibbi is the one who is going through this information. More was supposed to come out. It hasn't gone out yet. Uh, and that's why we'll kind of wait for it. But here's something I think that is important to know. There's something that used to be called uh, the mainstream media gatekeeper, okay, that there was an idea a long time before the Internet. You know, how did we determine what's news and what isn't? And how did, before there was social media, before anybody could just get on and say anything, and something to be aware of, and this is this is a real problem, is that there's lots of people who call themselves journalists, or maybe they're a blogger, or they've got some podcast. It's so easy to do all of that today, who start to report news, and some of those people are just making it up, like literally making up stories. And I read those on the left and right, and they're completely made up. They're, they're, I've heard, you know, about stories of Dr. Fauci getting arrested and everything like that on the right. And I've heard all kinds of things about Trump on the left and, and a bunch of stuff that's just not true. And some people are literally making it up. So there is a problem with how do you contain uh, from 
in some way, if you want to communicate to the American people what's going on or the world, how do you make sure that what's being reported has been researched? How do you make sure that there are journalists involved who are actually doing journalism and not just copying whatever they read in the newspaper or some other source that isn't real? And it's a serious problem. Well, one of the changes that happened, you're listening to Southern California Live. If you'd like to join in our conversation, the number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. Before there was the Internet, where did you get your news? And before there was cable TV and cable news, where did you get your news? Well, you got it from usually one of the main news networks or newspapers. So you might have got it from the New York Times, the Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, and then across the country, the Chicago Tribune and the L.A. Times, some other newspapers in major cities around the world. You got local news a lot from your local newspaper. Eventually, there was television news, but most of the time you just got it from, you know, your your major alphabet networks, NBC, CBS, ABC. And in the 1980s, you got CNN and you got 24-hour news cycle. And for a long time, it was mostly just news. And it had some commentary on it, but it also typically was point-counterpoint kind of thing. There used to be a show called Crossfire. Did you ever watch that show? Uh, it was Pat Buchanan and uh, Michael Kinsley, I think is his name. Kinsley's passed away uh, not too long ago. It was a great show. And Buchanan was the conservative and Kinsley was the liberal. And they would just go at it uh, against each other. And it was a pretty good show. Actually, as far as cable news commentary, to get both sides and, you know, whichever side you agreed with, you'd sit there and get mad, at, you know, that other guy and whatever it was. And it was there was some entertaining with it, but there was a lot of news. Well, something that changed, something changed when the Internet came out. And one of the things that happened is there was an idea that the, the major media was the gatekeeper of what is news and what isn't news. And when it's a limited number of newspapers and a limited number of television stations, news stations, it was a lot easier for those guys to kind of work together to say, hey, this is news and this isn't. You know, why did we hear about, do we hear about every possible scandal today versus we didn't hear much about the Kennedy scandals, for example, the personal ones, or ones with Franklin Delano Roosevelt? I mean, they, they hid the fact, the media hid the fact that he was in a wheelchair. I mean, think about that, that you couldn't do that today. The media was able to hide the fact that Woodrow Wilson as president had a stroke and probably his wife was the president for the last year or two of his administration. Same thing happened with Warren Harding for at least a couple of months, except that President Harding died in office. But most people think that Mrs. Harding was running the country in that period of time. But in those days, you just didn't have, even if the, the newspapers knew, by the way, there were people who knew. But they could get together a very small number of people and say, hey, you know what? We're not going to report this. It's not necessary that the American people know about it for whatever their reasons are. And you, you didn't hear about it till a historian later would dig it up and discover this is true. Well, that doesn't happen now. Now you hear about things that are true or things that are not true, and it's everywhere. This changed with the coming of the Internet, and it changed with the Clinton administration. And, uh, and I've been teasing this. i got to take a break, and I'll tell you what happened as soon as we get back. If you want to join our conversation, the number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrier, your host. I'll be back as the Monday edition continues. Stay tuned. 
This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Join the conversation now by texting Scott in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. We're talking about the Twitter files that were released over the weekend, just partly. And uh, the controversy is, is how much suppression of... In this particular case, the information about the Hunter Biden laptop went on in 2020 before the election. And there's a lot more that's going to be released on this that is going to show, according to Matt Taibbi, the uh, journalist who is going through all of this stuff, uh, government or uh, political campaign influence over social media. There's a lot of conversation about you know, whether or not this is uh, First Amendment violations and all of that. It gets complicated when it's a private company who can say what they want, and then who represents the government and what is really there. We're going to have to wait and see. Matt Taibbi, by the way, he says that while in his the stuff that he's released, that while most of the stuff makes it really clear that there was a close evidence between the Democratic Party and the Twitter people, uh, there's also stuff on both sides that is coming out. So, you know, there's both sides who are doing some things, but clearly, if you've read it so far, uh, there was a very tight relationship with some Twitter employees, not the CEO. Uh, that was part of the other problem is that, man, all these people are doing all this stuff and the CEO didn't know about it. Um, and it's a pretty big deal for your company to decide that something is a false story during an election. And whether you publish it or not uh, is going to influence votes. And that is some of the problem. Well, one of the issues that's behind all this, if you think about it, it's called the media being the gatekeeper. The media used to be the gatekeeper of information. In the media, it was much easier to do. Um, the, there was a sense that the mainstream press, the alphabet networks on television and radio, your you know, ABC, CBS, NBC, and your major newspapers, New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, Chicago Tribune, LA Times, a couple other newspapers had some influence around the country, that that small group of people would determine what a story is or what isn't. You know when this ended? that pretty much ended this is the uh, Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky scandal. We probably shouldn't even call it the Lewinsky scandal. That's what it's known for. It's really Clinton scandal is what it is, right? He's he's the one. Um, but the reason for this is this, is that that story, the affair between President Clinton and his intern, Monica Lewinsky, back in the 90s, it was known about by the gatekeepers, it was known about primarily by Newsweek magazine, who had a whole story about it. The whole thing was written, and they decided to spike the story. They decided that we don't need to tell this story, that some of the legal stuff that was going on behind the scenes would be wrapped up pretty soon, and certain people who were major figures in that case either were or weren't going to be allowed to testify in uh, some of the trials that were going on. The president was being uh, sued uh, for sexual harassment, basically, by some other people. And uh, a lot of that story was tamped down. What changed is that Matt Drudge, who was the who just started the Drudge Report, that website, uh, it's not nearly as good as it used to be. It used to be a fabulous news website. If you just wanted headlines, you want to get the story. Uh, they're way behind, and it's not so good anymore. It's a little bit, um, I don't know, gossipy, I guess, leans that direction a little bit more. I don't find it to be right a lot of the time. But back then, it was pretty good, and Drudge cracked that story. He broke the story of the Lewinsky scandal. And when in doing that, it basically eliminated the idea of the gatekeeping role of the mainstream press, because now you had one guy who had a website that happened to have a lot of reach, and all he was doing on this website was linking to different stories primarily. 
of different uh, news organizations. And this is what happened when the Internet became a thing. Uh, now you've got one guy who broke a major story that for a couple of weeks there, when that story broke, if you remember, most people thought that uh, the President Clinton was going to resign. And uh, it was a huge story. He was eventually impeached for lying under oath uh, in the things related to the various uh, scandals that he had there. And uh, he survived his impeachment. But all of this was being hidden by the mainstream media, same mainstream media that was able to hide that President uh, Roosevelt was in a wheelchair from most people, hide the um, affairs that were going on in the Kennedy White House. Certainly people knew about it at the time. We know a lot more today. That era ended. And so what's been happening and what is something I think that is important? Here's a question I've got is, should there be a gatekeeper now and who should that be? Because a lot of the news that we get is not accurate. It hasn't been, it hasn't been studied. It hasn't been released. It's people just reporting each other. And we're talking about news from mainstream sources. A lot of the news is sort of competitive. If you sit down today and you watch Fox News and then you switch over to uh, MSNBC, you're going to see two different ver- versions of what the news is of the day. Uh, it's pretty amazing. If you are watching Fox, you're going to see stories about the Twitter thing, and you're going to see stories uh, where they're saying it's a big deal, and you're going to see stories about the border, for example. But if you switch over to MSNBC or CNN, you'll see nothing about border issues, and you'll get a different perspective on the Twitter thing, that this is not a really big deal. And you get a completely different perspective on the news, but what you're not getting is a lot of facts, and what you're not getting is a lot of journalism. And so who is the gatekeeper today? Who is it that really should be trusted for the news? What do you think? 888-528-2557. 888-528-2557. So there's, there's a lot of interesting stories about how with the Internet and now with social media, it is very, very difficult now for anybody to try to control the news. But this is what has been happening, particularly with the, the last few years uh, on social media. And so you'll you'll see that there were some stories related to the COVID, some stories related to the election, some stories related to different things that were that were hidden or that were called fake news, even when they were they turned out to be true. And some people were just lying about them. They knew they were true. Other people were just copying what they heard from somebody else they trusted. How do you know what's true today in the news? How do you actually know? That is an interesting question, I think, today. And I think that behind a lot of what we're struggling with in our country is that we don't have a source that is trusted the same way in the media as we used to. Do you agree with that? Do you think that that's true? Or is there, you know, and and if you agree with a certain source in the media, why? Do you know why? Is it just because the the angle that they're taking agrees? We all seem to know which newspapers and which television networks lean one way or the other which I think we, we kind of always know. It's always kind of lean to the left. You can There's all kinds of writing and studies about that. But there was also a value eventually on the truth um, that once a story would, would be broken, you know, it would, it would come out. I'm not sure that that's there anymore. I don't know if we, from a journalistic standpoint, if we care now about getting to the facts. I think there are some journalists out there, but there's just a lot of people who are a part of their own tribe and they want to report things that fit whatever narrative that they're trying to push on their side. This, my friends, whichever side that's coming from, is it's a bad thing for our country. And I think for us as believers, people who need to be on the side of truth, we need to find a way 
ourselves to get above that, to not go too far into some stories that just happen to fit our political agenda, but find out what actually is true. I think it's a pretty profound thing that the the media used to be the gatekeepers of what's true and used to be able to control it. They probably were able to filter out some stuff that wasn't didn't matter, but they also kept out stuff that probably did. Uh, that's over now. The difference, though, is that now it's a free-for-all, that if you have enough viewers of your website, if you've got enough uh, clicks that you can get on your TikTok account, which, by the way, TikTok which is the one where apparently uh, the Chinese government is learning everything about your life if you have that app. Uh, You've heard that. There's a lot of people on both sides who want to get that app banned in the United States. Um, But TikTok now is where about 30% of people who are under the age of 30 are getting their news from that app. And a lot of people get their news from Twitter. Twitter is huge. That's why this is a big story. I think this is a big story because this was another gatekeeper area where some people felt like they could keep the gate shut on stories that they didn't want out. And uh, Elon Musk buying Twitter and now publishing uh, what was going on behind the scenes, I think we're going to learn a lot. And I don't know how controversial it'll be ultimately once we've seen all of it, but I think what we don't want to miss, and by that controversy I mean is it really going to harm one side or the other, I don't know. But I think what we don't want to miss is how much pressure has been played from government officials or campaigns or other people to try to tamp down stories that, in fact, turn out to be true and that the truth is being hidden. That's a, that's a scary time for us. The good news for us as believers is that we still have the Word of God. And this is where we should rest, by the way, in God's Word. This is something that is a truth that will never be taken away, that many governments have tried to eliminate the Scriptures, and yet the Scriptures still get in. And God's church, the gates of hell, are not going to prevail over it. And we shouldn't worry about that. We should hang our hat on the truth of the Scriptures. We should realize that, you know, even in this world, something that we really think is true, there might be evidence out there that says the opposite thing is true. And if that evidence ever comes forward, then we need to know about that. But if it doesn't, um, you know, we shouldn't be trusting our news media at the same level that we trust the Scriptures. Scriptures is the Word of God. Scriptures tell us about what's happening. And if you know your Scriptures, you should be watching all of this in the news and not be surprised by it. That we are a culture of lawlessness, that we are a culture of a lack of understanding, excuse me, a lack of understanding of what the truth is. It's a pretty significant significant thing. So we're going to watch that story. We'll tell you more when there's really a lot more to talk about it. But I thought you know, you might find it interesting that this is actually a story that has been developing as the internet and social media develops. And we should think about where do we find the truth in our stories. Hey, when we get back in the next hour, there's a great article in Newsweek, uh, an essay by Lee Habib. And Lee Habib is going to join me next hour to talk about it. And we're going to talk about marriage. We have the uh, Supreme Court case that was uh, brought today about whether or not web designers have to make a, a web design. Colorado web designers have to make a web design uh, to support a, a gay, gay marriage, which they are religiously against. And uh, in that conversation, we're talking about marriage and what is it and how maybe we've lost the bigger picture of what marriage is. And that's a big part of something that's behind a lot of these discussions. When we come back, we'll talk about all of that in the next hour. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. I'll be back as the Monday edition continues. Stay tuned. 
Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.